0: Hey again, travel bosses. I'm excited to bring you this week's sponsor, TripStreak, the smarter travel search. What I love about TripStreak is the ability to set your personal preferences to either have or avoid red-eye flights or have things like completely lie-flat seats. So the next time you need to book a flight, check out tripstreak.com slash travel like a boss.
1: And here's your host
0: Johnny SD. What's up, everyone? This is Johnny, and welcome to episode 156 of the Travel Like Boss podcast. I'm here today with Taylor and Camille. Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, it's really excited to have you guys on. Um, first off, do you want to kind of just tell me how we met and where we are?
1: Yeah, we are currently in Ubud, Bali. Uh, we met through a place called the Outpost. Johnny joined the crew, which is a group of about six of us, digital nomads, getting together, getting shit done, and setting some goals.
0: Yeah, I like it, and we are we are at this amazing villa that you guys <laughs> rented for a year here in Ubud. And I remember the first time I came here, I was like, like I was like, I was blown away. I was like, there's a private pool. You walk in, there's this beautiful outdoor dining area, nice big living room, like huge western kitchen, and like it was it's two floors. It's it's just like a beautiful place that if you were to like least this back in the U.S. would just be insanely expensive. Insanely
1: expensive, yeah. Um, um, we feel very lucky that we found this through a local, a local real estate agent out here. We saw a bunch of places. We walked in here. Was like, how do we lock this place down? And like, just like you said, we had a friend out here the other day from L.A. and he was like, oh my god, in Beverly Hills this would be twenty five thousand dollars a month. Yeah, just nowhere near that. <laughs> okay. Do you guys mind sharing how much it costs? Yeah, so for to, take, to rent this place for years, like fourteen hundred dollars all in, which includes the pool person, the gardener, cleaning three or four times a week, kind of the whole nine yards. For fourteen hundred dollars, you can get—I mean, yeah, I guess you
0: can get a gardener and maid in the U.S. Actually, no, you can't get a maid. <laughs> but you get a house cleaner a couple times a week and a gardener, and that would be fourteen hundred bucks. Yeah, maybe.
1: I mean, from from in Seattle, you can't get anything for fourteen hundred dollars. Anything almost like a studio downtown? You know, like, it's like don't even don't even go there. And yeah. You come out here to Bali and all of a sudden you can have this beautiful place and really cool. I mean, just Ubud in general, I think, is just one of the coolest places we've been in the last three years.
0: That's cool. And the funny thing, though, about Bali in general is they call every house or every apartment, or every any place that you live, a villa. And I definitely wasn't staying in villas, but the driver always say... Which I like me to drop you back at your villas.
1: <laughs> and I used to just think in my head, I'm like, yeah,
0: you can drop us back at the hotel. <laughs> like, guess
1: I guess you're right. Yeah. There's like the whole new concept of what a villa is versus the hotel versus this little guest house. I mean, that's part of the, the hardest thing when you get out here is like, you're looking for a place and if you've never been here before, you're like, well, what am I getting? And you're, you're trying to like go around and see what people even have. And some people call it a villa. Some people call it a house. Some people call it a guest room. People call it just all sorts of stuff. So you definitely have to see it for yourself. My
0: advice to everyone is to get a hotel room for a couple days. For sure, get here and just start exploring. Either on a motorbike, or like you guys did, you guys got an, uh, basically an agent to drive you around and show you guys around. I, I think that's the way to go.
1: No, I, I absolutely agree.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think we did something smart, which is in the beginning we just uh, walked into the car working space that we were going. Going to to work every day, and we just asked the guys at the front desk. I mean, they're local guys. Um, you know, they kind of know the area. We're like, hey, if we want to find a place to live, how wh- how would you recommend we go about it? And they put us in touch with this guy who's really sweet. And we told him what we were looking for, and it was so much easier to do that than comb comb all the the Facebook posts and and random you know uh, random Craigslist type sites.
0: Well, the funniest thing about Ubud is. A lot of the places that you end up staying, at, unless they happen to be on the main road itself, are going to be
1: a dirt path away from any road. Yeah, never find it. <laughs> if if you're lucky, um, you have know, some of the some of the places like you're you're out in the rice paddies, going down this little concrete path on your motor scooter, thinking there's no way I'm going to drive this sucker at night when there's no lights. Um, yeah, it's yeah, it's just like crazy stuff, like through the jungle even sometimes. It was one of the first places we checked out
2: even just this morning on the way to on the way to go uh to pick up food for 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 us today we uh we discovered this place called banyan tree yoga studio it's down this this path this like broken down stone path you go down and there's a huge banyan tree and a river and it's a cl- and there's a bunch of villas around that too and it's like until you took that little random road went down to this place just to check it out to satisfy your curiosity you just have no idea it was
0: there and this road was it something that a car could drive in absolutely not
2: <laughs> no it was it was definitely steps down in the first place and then it was just small and i think they be doing some construction as well so it's definitely not navigable other than
0: by foot that's crazy i mean even the place i'm staying right now it's i be timed it and I, I have a video up on youtube uh just for johnny fd and it's a timed it, it's a two minute drive from any road to the the place i'm staying and from that point, it's another you know couple of minutes just to get onto like a road where a car can drive. Oh. So when I had my Uber drive uh, drop me off, they had to drop me off at a cafe like ten minutes away, and I had <laughs> to figure out how to get there. But this is all kind of part of the adventure, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's kind of it's kind of it's kind of what you're looking for out here. I mean, mm-hmm. Bali's you know there's all sorts of different things like Changu, Sanur, Do you want to be an Ubud? And you know, it just depends what kind of adventure you want to have.
0: So tell me, kind of like rewind way back. How, like, how did, you two are uh, engaged now. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Yeah. And I've heard you guys might have your wedding here in Bali. I think so, for sure. Seems like the best place to do it. So how did you guys meet? Maybe Camille, you want to tell us the story?
2: Sure. So we were both, uh, we were both living in Beijing. Uh, at the time we met, I guess, 2007, I think. Um and it was so long ago, can't
0: keep track. Why were you guys living in Beijing?
2: Um, so Taylor studied abroad his junior year of college, uh, and he picked China just because it was on the list of the three places he'd never been to, and his friends weren't planning on going to, if I'm correct. And he was like, "That's a kind of a random place. Let's just pick, let's just pick China." So, um, so that's how he got there, and then uh, ended up staying and working and going back and forth to China, uh, sort of after graduating. And then I uh, went there because. I have a longer history with China. My parents met actually in Beijing as well uh, in the in the early early 80s, and
0: so I've, if you guys haven't seen the the show cover for this, uh, both here and like, you know, a White, by the way, yeah,
2: <laughs> yes, we are not we are not um, of Chinese descent at all, um, but yeah, so we so uh, so my parents have been in and out of China. I kind of grew up in Beijing. I spent four years as a kid in China, and uh, kind of ended up going back uh, during college and afterwards, just looking for you know, a cool place to start finding jobs, really, because the state situation was not great at the time for for jobs. So that's how I ended up there.
0: No. And did you end up finding a job in Beijing?
2: I did. I did a bunch of internships. And I kind of took a bit of a circuitous route. I'm sure I'm not the only only one with this kind of story. But um, yeah, I ended up finding finding a few different different jobs. Yeah, there's always I mean, especially at the time, two thousand six, seven, there were so many opportunities in China. I mean, there are still a ton today, but the competition's a lot higher because there's a lot more people
1: going there.
0: Yeah, I could imagine back then there were even fewer white people in, in, in living in China or wanting to work there.
1: No, definitely for sure.
0: How's your Chinese, by the way? But
1: it's been a while since I had to speak it, but we used to do everything in Chinese, so wow. We can definitely get
0: around. That's pretty good. So uh you guys met in China and then what what like what then
1: yeah i mean we were we were living in china absolutely loved it i mean specifically just the the foreigners and the friends we were meeting and everyone was there doing something cool and then just the, the pollution spike just drove us out um we broke the pollution index so the pollution index goes from 0 to 500 we those people in beijing went to 750 in a day which i didn't even think was possible and we were eventually just like you know, we don't have to be here. We love Beijing, but we don't like the pollution. We had like indoor air purifiers. It cost like $2,000 to try to purify our air. And we were like, okay, we're going to bail on China, but where are we going to go? Do we want to go back to the States? Do we want to go to France? We couldn't pick a location. So, of course, we read for our work week and we started, you know, just brainstorming bigger ideas. And we said, well, what would it look like if we tried to speed date cities around the world for two years where we, Pick a city, two to three months, um, and just rotate around the world and see, try to find the next Beijing that we would live in for maybe three years. And then, of course, with that came, well, how the heck are you going to finance that if you're quitting your jobs? And so that's kind of where we dreamed up our you know, PowerPoint speed training um, website, which was just kind of taking our own work skills and kind of trying to build a resource online of something that we wished had been there for our own.
0: Rick, cool. And jobs. I definitely want to deep dive into that in a little bit, because that's how you guys are funding your travels now. But what were you doing for work in Beijing at the time?
1: Um, I started in China. I was working for a startup. So we were building um, hair and beauty salons throughout China. So we were we were raising money. Um, so I was doing like a bunch of stuff like that. And then I was working with a group of German investors for a little bit of time, trying to take Chinese companies and list them in uh, on the Deutsche Börse. And then I was working with a, another little startup bank that was kind of doing inbound expo. Inbound I ex- I can't even say it. Inbound x trading. Um, uh, just trying to get and raise money and bring technology back and forth. So, were you making pretty decent money while living in China? For for China side, yeah. I mean, I wasn't making huge millions of dollars. Most of our deals at the end were all, you know, we we would get stakes in the deal. So if we raised the money, we would get a big payout. But um, I was just loved living in China. I was having a blast.
0: Really? Like, so I I guess I can see why you guys like living in China because it's such a difference than going up in the U.S. And as white people in China, I'm sure it was pretty exciting to be there during that time. Um, Like, what else did you actually like about it?
2: I was just – there was such an energy and it. There was something um, exciting about being somewhere with limitations. Like, it was challenging to live there. You know, people were were very different. The culture was different. The language was different. The food was different. Um, There were things that you couldn't get back home. It was was like you were kind of roughing it. It kind of felt like you were – you know, um, like a pioneer in a way, uh, obviously not in your own country, but so, so that was exciting. That was the exciting part. The other exciting part is because you're like a pioneer, you form really tight knit communities. It is similar to Ubud a little bit, but it was more intense back then because it was like, you would form a bond over the fact that you really missed cheese. I mean, something so simple like that. So it was a really great way to, uh, to get to know people and, and form a community. And then the other side of it, just the business side, China was growing. I mean, just, you name the industry there was something cool happening in china china had some involvement you know involvement there and their ngos that were starting people were coming out to change the world to to create businesses i mean it was just really really exciting and uh, and on top of that we really liked the chinese culture we really um it's a bit rough around the around the edges, but they've got a great sense of humor and the food is amazing, They're, especially when you're there. There's so many varieties of food, so many nationalities. It's such a massive country um, that you can find pretty much anything you like there. So it was, yeah, it was just kind of an exciting place to be.
0: Yeah, I could definitely see that. And I think, you know, whether, whether it's China or somewhere else in Asia or <clears throat> pretty much anywhere that's not your home country, mm-hmm. you end up meeting other expats and creating a tighter community, tighter bond that kind of, as you mentioned, than than you would even at home. And it's kind of a shame that back in the U.S., it doesn't like I don't know my neighbors. Like I never talk to my neighbors, and you just everything's so easy, and you just like you know you have your group of friends, but you don't really like you don't have a community. Yeah. And it's being pretty much anywhere else in the world when you meet someone from your hometown, you meet someone, you know. Like, I, it doesn't don't have to be American. Just like you meet someone that's also not, you know, from Indonesia. You're like, wow, we have a connection now.
2: Well, especially in Asia, it's so obvious that you don't belong. I mean, unless – and, and it, you know, like you might look like you blended more, but I could probably still spot that you're not Chinese if you walked around. Like, so, yeah, I mean, I'm very obviously not from China. So, if I bump into someone who looks like me, there's immediately – instantly you have something in common that you're both here in this place that, you, you know, you don't sort of really – long essentially so so yeah in asia in particular or just somewhere where you look really different i think yeah it's just so much faster to make connections with people and you bump into people and say oh that's so great you're new to town how exciting um Instead of saying, you know, maybe we should grab a coffee one day and then never doing it, which is what happens, I think, a lot in, back home, you say, let's grab a coffee. Here's my number. By the way, I'm meeting a friend for coffee this afternoon. Please come. And the person comes and then they meet your other three friends. And then it turns out there's some... I mean, it's just you actually like follow through. Um, so, I think that's really, really nice to be
0: around. I, I've definitely felt that as well. And also, I like that things actually happen. Like, for example, I messaged Taylor yesterday saying... Hey, do you want to do a podcast and play Catan? And he's like, sure. You know, um, we're gonna be, you know, away. You know, my parents are visiting next week. We're gonna be uh, on the beach, beach town of Sanur. Do you want to meet there, uh, or do you want to do it tomorrow? And I was like, oh, let's just do it tomorrow. Yeah. And but the, it was also cool that you even had the option of saying like, oh yeah, I want you to come down to the beach town, hang out with me and my dad, and, and do all this. And like, where are you guys from back home, anyways? Originally uh, from Seattle, Washington.
2: And I'm half French, my mom's from Paris, and my dad's from Minnesota.
0: Okay but did you grow up in Minnesota then or
2: um mostly mostly new york uh Westchester county, but we um we traveled a fair amount when i was when I was little, so kind of all over the
0: place. but yeah, so do you feel like that was a little bit in your blood? so when you first decided to go to china it was, it was easier for you
2: absolutely um. I've always loved traveling and living overseas and being bicultural also really had a big part in, I think, in bilingual. And I think I always felt, I never felt fully at home anywhere and not in a bad way. Like I'm this lost child, but like, but you know, when I'm in the States, I often feel more French. And when I'm in France, I feel more American. So, so living overseas just fits in perfectly with that. I'm like, it doesn't really matter. I don't have the sense of you know, home is my identity. So, so yeah, traveling overseas and living, you know, elsewhere is is definitely part of who I am. I think.
0: I think the weird thing f- for me is even though I grew up in California, and in a sense, in that sense, I'm 100 American. But whenever I'm in Asia, and ironically, not when I'm actually in Taiwan or China, where like my ancestor- ancestors are from, but when I'm in like Thailand, for example, I feel so at home there. It's weird. Like it's just kind of like this this draw that I I never knew existed until I was there. And then I finally felt so comfortable. I was like, this is where I belong. Uh, Taylor, how was it for you kind of growing up? And then what What made, like, was it easy for you to just decide to just move?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, so I studied abroad in China. Absolutely loved it. Loved the culture. Loved to just China, to be part of history. I mean, China was going, I'm still going through lots of big growing pains, but just to be part of an entire culture that's so excited about the growth and the opportunities and all this stuff. Um, so when I was coming out of college, it was kind of, you know, do you want to go find a job in the States or do you want to take a shot and go join a language program for a year with the opportunity to work overseas? You know, 80% of the people I talked to were like, oh, definitely stay in the States, get this job, they'll send you overseas. And the other 20% was like, go tomorrow. Like, leave. You know, if you don't do it now, you're never gonna do it. So I thankfully went with their advice and was like... Just found a language program, got signed up, lived with the Chinese host family, uh, and then you know started job hunting after that in China, which did lead me back to New York for a year, but then put me right back in China. So I, I embraced it and actually just loved it, as we were talking about a second ago about the expats you meet and the community, and just you know to be in a, a third, or a second language that you have to communicate in. It. So it's not just like you know driving to work learning Timbsler Spanish or something. It's like you have to like if you want to eat, you must speak Chinese. <laughs>
0: Yeah, definitely. And what's kind of funny is even if you do speak Chinese, it's still hard to eat in China. <laughs> That's very true. You still don't really know what you're gonna get. So uh you guys, you know, met, you guys decided, hey, fuck this pollution, let's let's get out of here. And even before you guys like your business really started taking off, you guys kind of figured out ways to be able to travel on the cheap, right?
1: Yeah, so I mean that was the the first kind of Moment was there's a there was a website called Married with Luggage, a couple from Seattle who started traveling the world doing slow travel. They were kind of our first inspiration. We're like, hey, if they can do it, we can do it. And one of their tricks to kind of save money, which we always pass on to people when they're starting to look at traveling overseas, is a a website that we use called Housecarers.com, and I think there's a couple other ones. But essentially, it's people who live in Australia, or we started in Fiji, which was awesome. They wanna go travel for two or three months. They've got foo foo their dog that they can't put at the vet. So you basically stay at their house for two, three months and you feed the dog and pet the dog and make sure the house doesn't burn down and in exchange you can stay at their house.
0: Yeah, I found so cool. And I think when people hear that, it almost sounds too good to be true. Like how can you get someone's house in like in a beautiful place like Fiji yeah. for free? And if you think about it from their point of view, it's so expensive to put a dog some you know at a dog hotel. Yep. And then it's being crammed in with 30 other dogs, it's going to get fleas. Yep. And it's not going to get the care, you know? So for them to have, especially a couple, someone they could trust, you know, watch over their house and take care of their dog, it's, it, and, and then it's free for them. Yep. It actually makes sense, a lot of sense.
2: Well, and there's also the aspect to a lot of these places, the the homes are in kind of more rural areas as well. So the house is sort of on its own or it's part of a village. They don't necessarily have the family who can watch over it. So like in Fiji, their house they have this amazing house on the top of a hill and they don't, they don't even regardless of the dogs, they don't want the house to be just vacant for two months. So they want someone there also just to just be around and to, to occupy it. So from that perspective, also, it makes a lot of sense for them, even though a lot of people we told the first time that we were doing this are just like, oh my God, how can they they trust you like they're leaving their entire home and their beloved pet to you. And they've, you've barely just met on Skype. Like, but, but what's cool is it, it's actually, you're partaking in this sharing economy, which I think just makes so much sense. And there's trust on both sides. I mean, we bought our tickets and flew out to Fiji. There was cost involved in, in that, but we showed up and they were there and they were wonderful. And, and it, you know, it, it almost always works out. So it's, it's cool to just participate in, this, this sense of trust that you can have with strangers and just sharing sharing what you what you have to offer you know based on what someone else is looking for. So it's really cool to
0: do I mean that's definitely amazing and that's something I want to do in the future too. Uh, the other side I heard of is called trusted house sitters mm-hmm. and especially for I think for couples it is like a great idea you know to go somewhere for a month at a time get, get a play with some some dogs or cats you know, and just have a place to call home for a while.
1: Yeah. And the tip I always give people, I mean, typically your, your house, the person's house you're sitting for will do this anyway, but like, make sure that they, they stay, they lap over with you a day or two and invite out all their friends. For like a cocktail party or something. We showed up to Fiji and there was some, one of their friends birthday party. We like instantly were like going to boot camps. We had dinner dates. These friends had these 12 year old birthday, you know, had 12 year old birthday party. They brought us zip lining through the jungles. Like we had all these friends and you know, two months later we had like 20, 25 people at are going away party in this country that we like didn't even know did the same thing in Puerto Rico. We were like, the, the guy was in a band. So, we were like, hey, we play the guitar and Camille sings. So, all of a sudden, we we're in this like pickup band doing jam sessions with the Mofungos on the island of Vieques, which was freaking awesome.
0: That's so cool. And all these places that you stayed, were the people locals there or were they like Australians that happen to have a house in Fiji?
2: It was a mix. I would say, we, so in Fiji, it was a, an Australian woman married to a Fijian man. Um and then in uh, in Puerto Rico was it was an American East Coaster guy, uh, snowbird and then um we did it we also did it in uh, San Diego and those were just you know Americans who were living in San Diego. Um, That'd
0: be so yeah. cool to have a free place in San Diego.
2: Oh my gosh, we had a we had a uh, an apartment in a condo. It was like on the 14th floor with a pool jacuzzi. Downtown. It was just yeah. in the smack middle of the city. It was yeah, it was
0: great. Well, why did that person? Like where like where were they? Like why did they give it to you?
2: So the actually we first stayed um, we first stayed in the house just outside of the city. Um, that's what we found on the website. And then because we were having we were going to a conference in San Diego, and the hotel room was like three hundred bucks at the time, where we weren't making any money. We're like, you know, we're going to be there for five days. So, That's a huge expense. Um, so so we looked on on the site and we found we found this couple, this young couple, and they had I think two two little dogs or one dog. In any case, while we were there, they're like, oh, you know, actually, my mom lives downtown San Diego. She's leaving when we come back. She's leaving for another week. You know, she has these two little dogs and she normally I think I think she has a she had a person who normally came to take care of them. But this person wasn't like had bailed on her or something. So she just needed needed someone. And since we'd already taken care of her her daughter's home,
1: it seemed to work out fine. Uh, That's perfect. What conference was was that for? This is the presentation summit. So, it's like the big PowerPoint conference, which is what our site's about. So, there's a conference for everything. <laughs> I was
0: just thinking about. I was like,
1: I can't believe there's a conference for PowerPoint. <laughs> there, there is. Uh, and we're there and we're actually presenters now. So, when you go, you actually see us presenting tips, tricks, hacks and stuff like that
2: believe it or not it's been running for like 14 years um so it's a it's a long it's it's presentation so not powerpoint specifically but obviously there's a lot of powerpoint that gets talked about and the microsoft team shows up in a few years the prezi team showed up and i don't know if key- keynote i think apple's come maybe a couple times but it's it's typically powerpoint yeah
0: that's so so wild so okay so why like, what made you guys start a powerpoint training company
1: uh, so yeah, we were, we we're about to start speed dating cities around the world and, you know, just kind of, just like in the four hour work week was like, okay, like, what do you spend money on? First, and you know, like, I'm always buying these like sell books as in financial modeling and stuff. And then I was like, also, oh, like, what are you good at? Or what do people seek you out for for help? And that's kind of where Camille and I had the overlapping side in PowerPoint. A lot of our colleagues were coming to us. We were asked often to kind of train small teams of people. And we were just like, well, what are, you know, what why are people coming to us? What's not on the market? Well, everyone's doing this basic stuff. Can we take it up and notch it up for advance? So, like, really going after the consultants or the investment bankers and stuff like that. So that's what we kind of just really taking our skill set and building what we wish we had had for a training course and we're like well let's launch that and see if that sticks. Okay so
0: you guys made the course and I'm assuming it's a video course. Yeah it was all video
1: it's all, all online video training.
0: And then did you launch it on a platform or did you have to build your own?
1: Yeah, so we started, we did this all back ass backwards, but whatever. We went, so we left China, we went back to Seattle. We'd already been brainstorming content. We spent way too long filming our content and everything. And which is why I tell this to people now when I meet them and they're building a course, you know, we were like halfway through building the course that we wanted, but it was taking us forever. And so we were just like, whoosh, we're putting it up on something. We didn't have a website, we're like, let's put it up on Udemy. Like let's just let's get this thing going see what happens get some reviews and that's what I tell people all the time now they're like oh I'm in 3 units into my you know 8 unit course I'm like launch it like get it up get it to someone just you've got to get that feedback it gives you so much more confidence and the funniest story about when we just launched our course so no website yeah you know Udemy had this thing where it was like oh we recommend you put up a YouTube video which is how we started a YouTube channel and they said oh and, you know during this launch week Put up a YouTube video and then in the link put like, oh, you know, 75% off this week only, whatever, four views in to our YouTube, whatever, the very first day we had a sale. And I was just like, we are going to crush this. I was like, we're going to need more bank accounts. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, it's been up for two hours. We just made a sale. It was like, we only got like 12.50 for it. I was like, but we're going to kill this, you know, thousands of views later, no more sales. So I just tell that to people. <laughs> But it was, like, the confidence that, like, this does work but it was, like, I went from, like, oh, this is going to be a slam dunk to, like, hmm, this is going to be a little more complicated than I thought.
0: That's so crazy that you just happen to get a sale right away and then nothing. But at the same time, I bet you that sale gave you that confidence of saying, okay, that's, this could work.
1: No, I mean, it's, it's part of it. It's like, this can work. Yeah, it, it does work. And then that's just kind of the learning curve. No, well Now what do you do? I mean, we hadn't even launched our website and all that kind of stuff. So it was like, well, how do we get more people in the Udemy course? How do we get student feedback? What do we need to say? How do we need to do this? Now we're launching a website. What do you do with that? How do you get people signed up? I mean, it's just a learning curve. But if you don't take that first step, none of the other learning or trying to learn about it in advance makes any sense at all, really. So, are you still on Udemy or did you move it off? We, we still have our course, a, a, a chunk of our course on Udemy. But then we started building our own website, which thankfully we did because the problem with any kind of platform like that is you don't you have no way to contact your people. You can't collect email addresses. You can't run a special sales funnel. You can't do an affiliate thing. You can't really do anything. You're really hampered. And then at the same time, they're going to continue as the platform to advertise other people's courses to your, your stuff. So we built up our own channel. We have about 20,000 people now in total on our, you know, subscriber list that we can send tips, tricks, hacks to. And then we'll occasionally do a promotion with somebody else's stuff with our content. Okay. That's cool. What's your website? It's called nuts and boltspeedtraining.com.
0: Nuts and bolts speed
1: Long name. We probably would have named it something different if we started all over again, but that's what we went with. Okay, that's cool. So
0: how how is that doing?
1: I mean it's going well. We're 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 we we're always growing, we're always going through growing pains. I mean, if, if you ever start a website, you'll know immediately that it's an it's always under construction. You're always doing something to the the home page, you're always doing something with the navigation, you're always doing something with the product page. Um, but I mean, it's been growing. So over three years, we've gone from kind of zero to 22,000 people and from, you know, zero revenue to about $90,000. What we did last year.
0: Huge congrats. Yeah. I mean, that's almost six figures. And where were you guys last year? What, like, what countries were you in?
1: Last year was our Puerto Rico. So we did four months in Puerto Rico. We were in Spain for two months. We did Kiev for two months, two and a half months, which was one of my favorite countries now which i didn't expect to like um we so re-
0: kiev is ukraine just just to, ukraine.
1: to let everyone know yeah kiev ukraine <clears throat> what you like about kiev uh, it was just really cool i was expecting it i was expecting the people not to be very friendly everybody was super friendly english was not a problem they always produced someone to speak english the food was amazing everything was super cheap which obviously helps if you're doing it on a budget i just i just had a ball i joined this um you know crossfit gym and i had this like guy with this really deep russian voice who just cracked me up every time he told me to do something um just really enjoyed it. I saw...
0: Oh, so Ukraine is one of my favorite countries as well. That Oh, I, really? I didn't know that. Yeah. I was there last summer. I went for a wedding. Uh, I actually crashed the wedding. Uh, I was traveling with my, my buddy, Sam, who co-hosts my other podcast, Invest Like in a Boss. Shout out to Sam Marks. And he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to this you know wedding in Ukraine. Do you want to tag along starting in Bulgaria? We're going to travel Eastern Europe by land, end up in Ukraine. And then I'm going to go to this wedding... Um and I guess, you know, you can do whatever you want to do. Hmm. And by the time we got to Ukraine, I was like, Can I come to this wedding? You know?
1: <laughs> and it was like it was one of the coolest experiences I've ever had. Oh, okay, good, yeah. I mean just and we one of we had some friends there and they took me out with their family one night and we were drinking obviously a bunch of vodka and everything and I guess I made it so far with the family. Yeah, homemade vodka, but I made it so far they broke out the raw eggs, so we started shooting raw eggs and drinking vodka. And I was like, I guess when in Kiev you do as the Kievians do—that's <laughs> what it's called. <laughs> That's cool. But was it? I mean, I, I, you know,
0: Camille. So I'm I'm kind of curious from you—is how was it living in Ukraine for for that many months?
2: It was nice. I mean, it was. It helped that we had a friend. Um, I mean, it always helps when you have a friend there because you just, you like, I feel like you skip those first two weeks of like being lost and confused, which is, is exciting sometimes, but just when you're somewhere for a short period of time, it's kind of nice to just get, j- jump right in. Um, so it was great. And she told us exactly what part of the city we should live in, which was, which was awesome. Um, what,
0: what part of the city was that?
2: Um, I don't remember the name of the area. Do you, do you
0: was, remember what direction it was like from the city center or the, or the water? It
2: was right in the old city. Okay. Um, it was really close to... Um, Saint um, the, the big cathedral okay um, shoot I can't remember it. that's
0: direction. okay no yeah. I don't know how many people here are actually going to move to Ukraine listen yeah, to this, no. but it should be on their, their radar to at least be somewhere to visit so, so what did you actually think about life there
2: it was it was really great I mean I don't know what it's like in the winter but in the summer it was just beautiful there's so many parks it's it's really a lot greener than I expected Um there, it's, it's a huge cafe culture so there's so many cafes and places to sit outside have coffee or have food um, people are really just wandering around and um, yeah it's just a nice it's a nice place it feels a lot more Western European than Eastern European I felt um, so yeah I it was really it was really pleasant and like Taylor said it was affordable so we were going out all the time just eating out sitting at cafes being out outdoors um, yeah it was just really pleasant.
0: Yeah, I think when I went there last year, the currency was devalued by 75% compared to what it was just a few years before. Oh, really? So I th- I think normally, I know for sure if Russia is actually very expensive. Yeah. And Ukraine, I think, used to be very expensive as well. But because of the, the currency kind of devaluation, you can go to a five-star restaurant and spend 30 bucks and it's, just, and it's it was very affordable.
1: Get more food. I mean, you go to the movie theater and I went to the the cinema and it was like a dollar for our tickets. And I thought that I had like bought the wrong ticket. I just like, this can't be this inexpensive.
2: It was like a dollar for the food as well. Like yeah, a bag
1: of popcorn, an extra buck. Yeah. Uh, so, so I definitely want to go back to Ukraine. I, I think it's an awesome
0: kind of under-visited place that's off the beaten path. That's some kind of like, it's, it's one of those places where nobody really talks about that much, but they should.
2: Yeah, even another city we went to, um, uh, we went to the West and uh, also just like nice. I mean, you can be in the middle of nowhere and it can be a little grim, but uh, there's some other smaller cities too that also have a lot of charm. They probably have more of their old architecture and stuff as well. Um, and we also went to Chernobyl, which was really interesting. Um, I don't know if you went.
0: I went, right, and I had the craziest like Instagram photos from there. Yeah,
2: yeah. It was just... So it's, it's really – I would highly recommend it as a place as a place for choice. Also, I don't know. We didn't take advantage of it. But there's also the river that goes through through Kiev and there are these sort of beaches that you can go to um, apparently, which we just never ended up doing. But uh, could
0: be I, fun I, as well. I didn't know about that until after, like after I came back. I was watching a video of people doing like muscle-ups and like pull-ups. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm really into kind of like bodyweight fitness and there was this place on a beach – where everybody was jacked yeah. you know all the women had six packs and they were doing pull-ups and muscle-ups and i was like and all the guys were so strong and i was like where is this mm-hmm. and somebody commented saying oh it's it's in kiev and like you know, 10 minutes away from the city center yeah, yeah. and it was a 30 cent bus ride from the city center oh gosh, yeah and i was like i gotta go i gotta go there
1: yeah, I mean, yeah, just like you were saying, it was just, it was, it was super fun. And I was, again, I was in this CrossFit gym with these guys, with these big Russian accents, of course, made CrossFit seem that much more intense. And it just, yeah, it
0: just at a ball. I love it. So, would you guys go after, after Ukraine?
1: So, after Ukraine, we, that was when we did Spain, I, I believe. No.
2: Uh- nope. After Ukraine, we uh we the travel the travel planner is speaking. Um, after Ukraine, we uh we went to France. So we actually we did a pit stop in Switzerland for a friend's wedding, and then we went to France. We were in uh, Marseille for for two months, right? Two months, yeah,
0: two months. I like how Taylor just forgot about two months of his life last yeah. year. <laughs> we
2: we lose track. Like people ask us, "Where have you been?" And we just we have a hard time just because we bounce around so much. If we'd had some kind of more like linear path through you know like you said you went from bulgaria you can probably remember more where you went just because it would like kind of make sense geographically are we just like bounce around a lot it's just hard to keep track
0: so, so like how were you actually planning your your year your, your trips
1: so that's what i was gonna say it was funny when we first started we were where we, we had this like very linear plan like let's write down the cities that we're definitely gonna go to and we're just gonna figure out how to go to them and then we were All set up to go to Peru. We were going to start down there. We had a house. We had, you know, the whole thing all set up for two months. And then this house carers gig through Fiji came up for two months. And we were like, no one said we had to start in South America. Like, why don't we just wing it and go to Fiji? And then once we got there, we're like, well, nobody said we had to be anywhere now, really. It was just us trying to build this website and trying to kind of explore these cities. And we just became completely opportunistic talking to locals. Where would you go? Where have you been? What's, what's, what's going on? Which is also how we found out about a PowerPoint conference, which we then semi weaselled our way into as the film crew, so we didn't have to buy tickets. And then it was like, well, shoot, that's in, you know San Diego. We better fly to San Diego and go do that. So you know, and I guess that's that's such a fun part of this
0: life is having this much freedom. But do you think that that's kind of hindered? Like, has it made it hard to build the business? Do you think that like, do you think that there was any like struggles of trying to build this while traveling?
1: A- absolutely. Um, people always say, Oh, would you, would your website be bigger or should you open offices or all this kind of stuff? If you had just stayed in Seattle or wherever in the States and tried to build it first. And it's like, absolutely. Yes. But the entire goal in the beginning was to travel around the world and speed date these cities. So it was stressful in the beginning, but we started to take in stride that we just can't always be as consistent with the content or do all these things that we want to do. And we just kind of grew into how fast our website grows and, and are very happy with it.
2: The flip side is like you could always think that you would have done better if you'd been if you'd stayed put if you'd been more organized if you had like a full on office. I mean, Taylor's shot videos in the weird places. I'm sure you have similar experiences, but like I have a picture of Taylor filming I forget what uh, some video on. He had like two toilet paper rolls stacked on top of each other to put the mic so that he could. Anyway, it was so. We've been in definitely uncomfortable, you know, not the best situation to work. But I think that that in a way pushed us to work harder and to to just keep at it. I think in a way, if you're if you're too comfortable, like I'm not sure you get that much more done. Something there's something nice about I don't know I don't know about anyone listening to this, but I know for sure when I'm like, "Oops, I only have two hours to do this thing before I have to go," you crunch through it and you figure out a way to do it. So I think traveling actually in a way can be really helpful to get your shit done, especially when. You want to go somewhere cool and exciting. You want to have the money. I mean, most of the places we went to in the beginning, we kind of stayed close to where we were because it was a cheaper, cheaper flights, Right? We were in Fiji, so then we went to Australia, and then inevitably went to Thailand, and we kind of stuck around there. But once you start making more money, then you know you're a lot more flexible. You can stay in nicer places. Um, so I definitely think that the tra- that I wouldn't I wouldn't say stay home in order to make your business more successful. Like I don't think that's the way
0: it works. I, I love that, I- and I like the idea of the instead of model saying. Okay, if I work my ass off now, I can go to this next big destination or go somewhere more expensive, or stay in like a nice villa instead of you know getting like the cheapest room. So I know you guys said you started new to me. It was kind of a, a big pro tip that you guys gave everyone is just get the course up there, just launch
1: whatever you got.
0: Yeah, I think I, I normally tell people what they should do is if a course is let's say eight modules, kind of like as you mentioned earlier, sliver off one of the modules or something. Uh, and just put that out there, you know, and as kind of like a, you know, like I don't want to say like a teaser course because people kind of, exp- you know, people want something that they can do from start to finish, but instead of trying to teach them like everything they need to do, just like
1: one piece. No, I, I'd I'd absolutely agree with that. Um, I think most people when they they get into to course mode, they get into course scope creep mode, and all of a sudden their course is trying to do. Everything to the high heavens around name, whatever topic. And it's like, look, someone's buying your course for one specific result. One unit of anything typically delivering one specific result. Just deliver that unit webinar. You know, if you don't have it filmed or don't want to film, do a webinar style, get people signed up. Even if people are joining for free in the beginning, those are your first people to be like, Hey, did this help you get the result that I thought it would? If so, awesome. What other results did it get? If not, did you get a result from this unit or should I like kind of go back and rework it before? As you said, you get lost in like eight units of content and then all of a sudden someone's like, this is all really muddled, I don't get it yet.
0: Yeah. That that, that definitely makes sense. So aside from, you know, launching, you know, quickly in the beginning so you can get the feedback, what what, what do you think was the kind of like the, the point where what, what do you think that you did to be able to start getting traction?
1: Start getting traction. Um, I mean, just like anything when you're starting a website, everything's brand new to you. So like when we first got started, I was like, Oh, now I have a website. Okay. Now we need subscribers. Now we need, you know, what do you do with your subscribers? You have to email them. What do you do that? And, you know, Along the way, the other tip I give people, if they're starting out and they have a little bit of extra money is start investing in courses. Like stop trying to reinvent the wheel. People, you know, even if the course is a thousand, two thousand, we took a $5,000 coaching program once to learn how to build, um, online marketing funnels. Like what goes into it? How do you reach someone, educate them in a way so they're thrilled with what you gave them, but then have a pivot to a sale where, or, where, where you can actually make some money? Um, was one of the biggest things that, Kind of propelled us past people. As we were talking about earlier, like we'll meet entrepreneurs who have never invested in themselves, never bought a course, never done any of these things. And they talk to us and like we look like we're wizards. And it's like we're not even the best at it, but it's like we just at least have these concepts in our head and know what to do with it. I think that's insane. Like
0: how there's so many people out there that just hate on courses, would think information should just be free, you know, or they think that the free information that is out there is the best information out there. (laughs) I'm like, like that doesn't even make any sense. Like, why wow. would anyone who knows what they're talking about waste, like, spend
1: that much energy giving out free information if they know, if they know, if it's valuable? Absolutely. And the other thing I see content creators also feel like everything they do needs to be free, and I always was kind of like pushed back on them. I was like, well, if you were able to make this content, have someone pay you for it, so that you could work on creating more of this amazing content all the time, do you think people would benefit from that? And they're like, yeah, probably. And I'm like, well then you should figure out a way to you obviously give away some content because you need subscribers, you need to get people to your website. But like, yeah, there is deeper level content. Maybe they want to get a coaching call. Maybe they want to do something. And if that can now finance you, you can actually invest more time to create even better content for this tribe of people you're building.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Especially because, you know, there are people that you know like to give out free information. And I like doing it too. But I'm not going to spend, you know, 40 hours a week filming, you know, things just to give out for free because oh, uh, I didn't... First off, you know, we, we have bills to pay and it, it, like a lot of people that want to give free information, they have a freaking full-time job at home that they don't have time to be able to create all this stuff for free. And then when they do, it's going to be kind of scattered, you know, here, kind of here and there. And, you know, I mean, to be fair, if, you know, like this is, you know, i the episode 156 of the podcast and there's so much good free information on here so there's definitely free information but you know if I asked you to sit down and create me a you know four hour PowerPoint training you know on everything you just talked about you'd be like sure but I can't do that for free I like that's like that is four hours of my life of my time.
2: I think also like when you when you pay for something and then when you sell something for money it creates a different relationship and I think um, when you're a customer, First of all, your ass is on the line because you spent that money. So the likelihood of you trying to implement something, really paying attention goes way up. I mean, we've seen occasionally we've done promotions or we've had people who've gotten the course for free or very little money. And those people are not the best students, not because they're not good good people, you know, that they couldn't have been a better student, but it's just you don't value the stuff you get for free. So I think, you know, I think from the perspective of a buyer, like if if you want to improve yourself, like paying for stuff, even if you could get it for free, almost just like puts your ass on the line. So I think that's a huge value. And then if you're selling stuff, well, we've met a lot of people on our travels who say, "Oh, I just don't want to be salesy. I just don't want to sell something. I don't. Oh, I don't. You know, I don't like." And and there's nothing wrong with that feeling. That's a really it's a really nice thing to not want fe- want to feel like you're you're scamming people out of something. But I think again, when you're when you're creating content, you create a different relationship when someone's paying for it. It's it's an entirely it's like a. It's a give-give. You you gave something of yourself. You, you spent all this time, you, all this information. They're going to give something back in return. And then you have a different relationship. The ki- the kinds of feedback you get from people who bought your stuff is so different from people who, who've paid for it. So um, I highly recommend even just uh, asking for a little bit of money because I just think it, it puts you in a whole different dynamic. And I... And that's you, you're going to have a much better relationship with your audience than if you just give everything.
0: Yeah, like. I, I definitely agree. Um, you know, even though I try to be as open and transparent with everything I do as possible, if it wasn't for like when people that are part of my paid course, Earnest Affiliate, when they like message me in the forums or email me, and I know they are a member of the the course, I am very direct with them. I'm just like, oh yeah, like you know, here you go. This is like this is it. Versus like if it's some you know. Random anonymous comment from I don't know. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, wonder what this person is trying to actually get from this. You know, like yeah. you're always kind of, you know, like, you know, a little bit hesitant. I'm like, okay, this person is asking me, like, what is the hottest selling, you know, product this month? Is this person going to try to rip me off? Are they going to try to copy me?
1: Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah.
0: So, uh, I like your strategy about giving away, you know, I would assume quality, good free content consistently, and then. Is letting people know, hey, if you'd like
1: this, we have a full course. Yeah, I mean, yeah, and you know, the way that we've kind of gone, kind of the online marketer that talked to me the most or like resonated with me the most was this guy named Todd Brown, uh, marketing funnel automation. Uh, just when he speaks, I just feel like I'm like listening to gold, and just it's really actionable for me. And you know, kind of as part of that is this entire. Concept or philosophy about getting people not just to opt in for a PDF or get people to, cause right, you can generate opt ins and people are like, Oh, how are you opting in? And like, but you can get like all these people to opt in. But if they're not opting in in a correct manner or for like the right thing, then it doesn't lead you anywhere. So it's kind of this concept of how do I generate an opt in based on this kind of sequence of content that I'm going to give you that's very targeted to what you're looking for. And you're almost using that education based content to filter someone. Like If you're not interested in my thing, I almost don't even want to pitch to you because I know you're not going to buy. But if I can educate you in such a way that you know I'm establishing the beliefs that you would need to buy my product if you're the right person, then it makes the pivot and the pitch all that much better. So you're actually getting someone to opt in to the marketing funnel that's education-based. You're educating someone. So even if they don't buy, they're like, Hey, I'm, I'm really glad I went through that. But at the end, there's a pivot.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely agree with that. I think that's a very smart move. And I think that's something I do terribly wrong because I, like, I basically kind of just have an email opt-in now and, I, and on the, like, the 6 emails you'll get are basically my favorite blog posts. But they have nothing to do with each other. And it's like, this one's also my favorite or this one I learned a lot from. And I think it's great for people to kind of get to know me and follow my journey, but it's terrible for me to actually sell something because it's so scattered.
2: I think, I think it's key to like figure out, you know, what what's the ultimate goal of this thing you're doing, whatever it is, right? I'm getting people to opt in. What's the ultimate goal for this? I mean, the first goal is to get them to opt in, but then you don't just want anyone to opt in. You want people who are going to love your stuff and you want people who ultimately are going to buy. So so yeah, just thinking through kind of what's the what's the ultimate purpose for every action, every everything you put up because it's so easy to just... You know, be like, oh, this, this website has an opt-in. I need to have an opt-in. It's like, well, for what? I mean, maybe you don't. Who knows what your business model is, right? So it's just too easy to, to assume that there are all these things you have to do. And it, it may actually be a lot simpler than you think.
0: And I think that's actually a good point on the difference between kind of like free information or just backward analyzing your competitor's site versus taking a course like the one you mentioned and really understanding why you're doing it and what the kind of bigger picture is. Because I think a lot of people talk about like, oh, yeah, you have to have an opt-in or, you, have to, you know, you should do this. But they're not going to take the time to explain to you what the big picture is and why you're doing it.
1: Yeah. I mean, from, from the people that I've followed that are killing it. And everyone's like, oh, that so-and-so is killing it. If you actually sign up for their sequence and follow... you know, Sign up with 2 different email addresses. So one, you don't opt in or buy anything. And the other one, you actually buy their product. You're going to see this entire thought-out sequence of content and extra reports and extra bonuses and all this stuff. But they're obviously trying to get you into the paid program because... If you're building content in a way that I can help you most, or you take the attitude of like, I can help you the most with PowerPoint, for example. If you join my most elite program where I'm holding your hand, walking you through this stuff, then I should, from my position, say, if you're the right person, I should try to get you into this program. because that's where I can help you the most. It's not the free content. So if you can have this kind of marketing strategy, you kind of know how this content's going to flow. And if you're just getting started, keep it super simple. It's so easy to overcomplicate it. Um, yeah, you just you just like all of a sudden your entire sequence of emails has a, has a meaning, has a process. There's a the thought process, and people like that, I, I think.
0: I like that. I, I like you guys. You guys are still investing in yourselves and continuing learning, learning and growing. So, you, you mentioned right at the beginning that we met through Outpost's crew program. And for those who don't know, Outpost is a co-working space in Bali, in, in Ubud. Uh, I think it's the second one to open. I think Ubud was yep. the first. Yep. And great space. Very uh, cool. And I got invited there to be part of their crew program, which every... I don't know how often they, they invite someone out, but they, they have... Actually, wait, why don't you tell me about the crew program?
1: Yeah. And the crew has been going on for now, I think, 4 months. It's run by Colleen. Uh, it's basically 6 to 10, I think they have this month. that runs monthly. 6 to 10 people who are building websites or doing something digitally. Well, they're living here in Ubud. And it's basically like... I call it like a four-week productivity sprint where you're basically trying to, at the beginning of the month, pick some big audacious goal and for the next four weeks, you're going to be holding each other accountable and trying to really push towards it. But what it really turned out to be was a lot more of uh, kind of this emotional intelligence and I don't know, Camille, what did you, how would you describe what it really was?
2: Well, I think a lot of it... Um... Is for people who are typically in transition, right? You're you're either you know starting starting your your freelance role, or you finally quit your job, or you've been running a certain business but you want to run a different one, or you want to create a new course. It's typically when people are at this stage when they they want to do something different. So a lot of times that comes with a lot of baggage. That comes with a lot of like guilt, maybe about like how you've been putting this off for a year or. Or what does it mean for me to become a coach? Like I've always been a yoga instructor, but coach, like I don't feel like I I'm qualified. So there's all this kind of s- stuff that goes on in the background that prevents you from being your best self and from doing from doing this task just 120%. So I think the awesome thing that Colleen does through through this this program is that she helps you work through some of this stuff. And it can get kind of emotional and kind of intense sometimes, but that's kind of what you need because um the flip side of th- of that is that you have a group of ultra supportive amazing people that are going to become lifelong friends. We've been out of the crew for less than a week now. It's been over. And we've already had dinner with like two or three of the people in the crew. We've gone out to, to, to special meditation events. And so these are people that that have your back. And so you're going to be vulnerable, but it's going to help you grow. And um, yeah, we've, we've, we have got a ton out of it. And I think each person who joins gets something different, which is cool.
0: Yeah, I think mean, that's cool. And I, I like the the idea that co-working spaces are starting to have like these – I don't even know what you call it, like productivity masterminds. Cause a lot of people, they come and they're kind of lost. You know, they have an idea of what they want to do, but maybe they don't even know anyone yet. And you can, you know, you can meet people on your own. But like when you're forced to meet with people four times a week for an hour and have to have like goals and say, you know, have accountability partners, you really do get a lot more done.
1: And you're paying for it. I mean, going right back to paid content. The crew is not a free program that just anyone who shows up to the outpost can take. I mean, you're shelling out 700 bucks a person just to be in the scene to get someone to kick your butt. So like going back to what we were talking about, like I now need to set a goal. I'm now going to sprint towards this. Not only do I have my ass on the line, I put my money up and I don't get a refund if I don't get my goal. So it's like you're almost like hungry to even get more out of it than if you just like randomly showed up. It's like,
0: Oh yeah, maybe I'll go check this out. And I think that's actually a really cool like um, kind of business idea for like co-working spaces. They already have a community. They already have, you know, people that want to go, but then they can put together a package like this where I think it even includes picking you up from the airport if you just arrived and then kind of just like a, like introduction. Like I, th- I think the, I looked at the schedule something like a, you got an introduction dinner. So you get to meet everyone. And then you have these events and you have all the stuff that's kind of all content care of. So especially if you're going somewhere new for the first time, I, I, and you want to get something done? I think it's a good idea. Um, and I think I think seven hundred bucks is, is worth it. I think you know cause it's, it's a lot of like a lot of hours that they put in, kind of like what it's I want with you guys. Totally
1: worth it. Totally worth it.
0: And so Colleen actually made me a, a coupon code. If you guys wanted to check out the crew and sign up, the coupon code is hashtag the crew jfd, and you get a hundred bucks off. I have no idea why she put a hashtag in there, (laughs) but um, we'll have a link in the show notes, and it's also on my travel guide to Ubud, Bali. So go to JohnnyFT.com. You can look at my travel guide to to Bali, where I kind of wrote down all my favorite restaurants for staying, cool things like that. So, what are your your guys' plans now for the maybe for the rest of the year?
1: So, I mean, we're here in Ubud till February 2018. We got a year long lease on our villa. Uh, at the end of that, we, we still want to go to a number of countries, but we're kind of just going to kind of play it by ear as we always do now. Um, we still want to do Australia. We still want to go, I don't know, New Zealand, a bunch of places, but.
0: What made you guys decide to settle down here for a year?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So we were traveling for, you know, almost three straight years. And as we've gone to these studios, we've obviously met other people who are doing stuff online and you just always are, 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 crossy notes. Where was your favorite place? Where would you go? Did you do this? Did you do that? And like the first person was that we met was like, oh, I really, really enjoyed Ubud, Bali. We're like, okay, that's whatever. And the second time we heard it. Third time. The fourth time we heard and it was very, very specific. Ubud, Bali. Not Sunur, not Changu. You go to Ubud. We were like, we're going there. And and at this point, we were also getting not tired of traveling, moving cities every two, three months, but kind of tired. We're like, you know, we'd like to plunk down somewhere for six months or maybe even 12 months if we liked it
2: a huge draw and that's something i was thinking about when you were talking about the crew and outpost as well a huge draw for us for ubud was the sense of community and the digital nomad community as well because we've we've traveled to places that that typically don't have a whole lot of those people or they're just not so easy to find so we've really missed having and that's why we've taken a lot of courses as well but we've never really had a group of people around us who are doing anything remotely close to what we're doing so we've we just, every time we heard someone talk about Ubud, they're like, ah, oh, there's a ton of digital nomads. There people working on websites. So that was also really a big draw is, you know, if you're doing this for the first time, just to go somewhere where there are other people in the similar boat is, is just really cool thing to do. So that's one of the reasons too, that Ubud was hugely appealing to us and why we decided to commit to like a full year because we thought it'd be a great place to make really good friends and then share information.
0: I like that. And I talked a lot about that Uh, Both my blog posts and actually the last couple episodes of the podcast that I've done here in Bali where we've talked a lot about the community. And I think that's a big draw for, for almost anybody. I think that, I mean, to be honest, that is the reason why people are in Chiang Mai. Chiang Mai is a great place, good food, good cost of living. But it is because of the community that more and more people go. And I'm really happy that Ubud is an alternative now. Uh it's not quite as big uh in terms of community. Like there's literally a thousand digital nomads in Chiang Mai, which is pretty insane. It's like a college campus of digital nomads. Wow. Uh here, I would estimate, I have no idea, but I would you know I would estimate there's three hundred, you know, maybe five hundred you know, I would say three hundred at a time or something. Uh um, sounds about right. Yeah. In Changgu there's probably ten.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and it's so Ubu definitely is like the, the, the place in Indonesia to be. Actually, you know what? I would say, aside from Chiang Mai, this is the kind of number two hotspot in the world for digital nomads community. And I've, I've been to, to all the ones that people say is the hotspot, including Berlin and Lisbon and you know, all these other places. But this really is like number two.
1: Yeah, and we just had a friend who runs websites and has never traveled abroad like this before. And he was coming through here and he was like, wait a minute you know, the prices are like this, you can get a villa like that, the food's amazing, there's this community, there's, you know, is it going on and on this like massive list and the very end of it, he's like, why isn't everyone moving here? And I was like, I just have no idea why because it's just, it is, it's just so magical and it's, it's just here.
0: Yeah, and Bali really is a magical place. I mean, there's, I mean, there's literally holidays happening all the time. We're walking yeah. around the street and we hear like drums and... People walking around with like flowers, you know, and told, you know, just like holding things on their head. Like things that you didn't think still exist in seventeen. But in Bali, you see the most random things all the time. And it just, it makes you feel like a child again. Like in this awe, this wonder.
1: And, and you're on your, you have this little scooter and you're scootering up and down these little roads. I mean, I always tell people, I kind of feel like it's an adventure. I'm just going off to the, the, the co-working space. It was kind of like an adventure, scooting around through the rice fields and going up and down these these dirt roads and stuff. I'm, I think it's really cool. Have you guys been to Thailand? I'm curious. Yeah, we did. Uh, we were in Bangkok for a month or two months. And then we were on the island of Koh Tao, where we learned how to scuba dive for a month. Um, and we went to Chiang Mai, but we went, didn't, weren't into the digital nomad scene at that side. So, we were actually in the, the touristy side of Chiang Mai. So, people were like, oh, did you like Chiang Mai? We are like, no. But then we hear from time and time again of the other side we were supposed to be. And we're like, we need to go back and check yes. it out. We totally missed it.
0: Yeah, because I think all the tourists are always either in the old city or probably near the Night Bazaar. That's exactly where we were. And that's super touristy. Like, we hardly ever go there.
1: Yeah, it's horrible.
0: But they're like, <laughs> the secret neighborhood of uh, of Chiang Mai is the kind of Neiman Haven area with all the coffee shops are, that's where the corporate spaces are. I would I would probably say it's the equivalent of coming to Bali and only going to Kuda Beach mm. and being like, it sucked. Yeah. <laughs> and never make it to ubud.
1: Yeah, I mean you know, I mean we we were we were lucky that we were coming here cuz when we we first came for the first month we were down in Sonur, which is very cool and there was a little co-working space but it didn't didn't seem like magically this digital nomad scene and we're like, "Well, how much better is ubud going to be?" like, "Maybe we don't maybe we shouldn't stay here for 6 months. Maybe we're just like a 3-month trip." And then we got to ubud and it was just like our mind was blown And the the restaurants and the people and the the co-working spaces are so cool.
0: So a lot of people coming to bali are like let me go to one of the beach towns because the reason why I'm coming to Bali is to be by the beach. What, like, what? Why are you not by the beach?
2: Oh, where do I begin? Um, I, I mean, I'm completely converted Ubud fan. So um, I think living living by the beach is awesome. And in an ideal world, you have mountain and beach and city and relaxation. But it's just you kind of have to pick. Um, I love being in Ubud actually, and I don't. I find I don't miss the sea at all. Because I love being surrounded by jungle. I mean, that's the cool thing about being in Ubud is that because it's really hilly and there are a lot of um, there's – you're just surrounded more by nature. I think even Changu, Sanur, even in Nusa Dua, I mean, there's just not a whole lot of nature around you. I mean, yes, you're you're on the beach, but it's just different than being surrounded by trees and vegetation. So I think that's really cool um, to be up here for that. And then also, you know, the, be- the, the, the beaches where there's stuff going on like are typically – kind of grimy here. Like they're not the most beautiful beaches. The beautiful ones are more remote and you're probably not going to want to live there a whole lot. So I think Ubud just has the perfect mix of, um, ton of stuff to do without being this crazy busy Denpasar or like some massive city. So it's just this right, right balance between a certain amount of nature, a certain amount of city and busyness. Um, and then, you know, Changu is 45 minutes away. And so Sanor. So to
0: 15, for anyone that doesn't drive like a psychopath.
1: (laughs) I was just going to also just throw in there. We met a nomad the other day, and the way she's been doing Ubud Bali is she gets a base um, membership pass to the Ubud, the Outpost, and Dojo. And she basically has a, you know, she's at HUBU, like, Monday through Tuesday. And then she's at Outpost Wednesday through Thursday. And then she'll just drive over 45 minutes or an hour on her scooter to Changgu rent a place for 30 bucks a night, hang out with the dojo people. She's, like, making the tour. And so, as soon as my dad, who's coming for two weeks, leaves, I was like, that's exactly what we're going to do because that's not that hard.
0: Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Uh, you made a really good point about the reason why people like being by the beach is because they want to be by nature. And the jungle, even though it's not body of water per se it feel gives you that same kind of feeling of like awe like and wonder and wow like there's something bigger than me there's something that's kind of magical uh, and I definitely feel that as well and you know as much as I like Chenggu for you know a couple weeks or a month if you want to learn how to surf yeah and it's you're, you're right it's like there's no nature around there like there's some rice fields but I think if you've never seen a rice field you'll be impressed but if you've seen if you come to Ubu and you see what a real rice field looks like, <laughs> yeah. you're like, that looks like a fake,
1: you <laughs> know, like, like Disneyland rice it, field. It, yeah. It yeah.
0: and, 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 like seriously looks like some of these like backyard rice field <laughs> then. Um, and you're right about the beaches in like the, these touristy areas not being the nicest beaches. Like Changu's beach is ugly. It's like yeah. brown kind of like, like, and there's garbage everywhere. I, what I would recommend to people is if you, have never been to tropical island or to beach get out of your system come you know come here don't work for the first month just go out to all the islands you know go to you know komodo go to Gili, Gili air you know take all the photos get your tan enjoy it and then once you're kind of sick of it come to ubud and get some work done
1: no for sure
0: all right so if people want to reach out to you guys check out your your site how can they find you
2: so we're just at nuts dot com. We also have a we have a minimal Facebook page, um, and we're around on LinkedIn. Uh, any way you want to get in touch, we also have a Twitter handle. We're not super active on social media, so if you want to reach out and if you have any questions about traveling or PowerPoint or anything, you can just probably email us or find our
1: website. I just going to add one more tip about that: the fact that our Facebook page is not super blown out and our Twitter page is not super blown out. I mean, when we were early on and everyone's like, oh, you got to have this, you got to have that. We were kind of talking about earlier. Everyone will tell you you need to have like these 15 things. I mean, we're just a two-person team and we really realize you got to focus down on the medium that works for you. So, if Facebook's your thing and you love Facebook, I hate Facebook. Like, go rock Facebook's world and drive all the traffic. But if that's not your thing, don't just start poking around Facebook just because someone else, like you said, is popular. You're just going to waste your time.
0: I definitely agree on that that's a great pro tip. I would suggest to everyone to you know sign up for the screen name just to kind of reserve it have a placeholder have like a placeholder image yeah. have like the kind of the the MVP like you know whatever you can you can get on there just so people can see it and then there's a link back to your actual site. Yep.
1: that's all you guys need
0: uh, and then definitely focus on on where you guys can make the most damage.
1: Yeah, or like whatever you like. Like, if you love Twitter, like go go wild on Twitter. Like, I signed up for a Twitter account and I hated it even more than I hated Facebook. So it was like it was like painful for me to be yeah. on it. And here I was like trying to like tweet all the time.
0: But it is crazy how few people will make an account on Twitter. Just I mean, so at least people can like um, tag you in it, and then that way when they go to it, they can click to your your website. Yeah. So I I, I definitely think that there's kind of like that balance where everyone should reserve like their no, business I that name. I
1: agree with for sure.
0: But you're right. Don't spend time on things that you don't enjoy doing.
1: Yeah, or that you just don't know how to do. Or Because again, it's like, you, you've done this too with all of your stuff. It's just like, there's so much. The learning curve is so big. Don't create five different learning curves. Like, pick one and learn that first. I love it. So
0: big congrats on both of your success.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Uh, look forward to traveling with you guys more and as well as playing this game Catan. Yeah. So if anyone wants to play some Settlers, come out to Ubud, uh-huh. hit us up. Yeah, come That's right, find look us, us up. <laughs> See you guys all next all right. week. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. I want to give a big thank you to everyone who's taking the time to leave five-star reviews of the Child podcast on the iTunes store. This week, we have Brooke Craven, who says, Awesome podcast, five stars, Johnny FD gives inspiring, life-changing advice, and this can't-miss podcast as well as Brittany Bailey from the UK. Wealth of knowledge, five stars. Johnny always has great guests on the show who, as well as himself, share invaluable knowledge, whether that be for life traveling or improving your online business. I find it really inspirational, especially when I packed on the tube on the way to work. I feel like I should have read that in with a British accent. I find it really inspirational, especially when packed on the tube to the way to work. Thank you, Brittany. And a big thank you to our sponsor, Streak. Next time you guys need to book a flight, check out tripstreak.com slash travel like a boss. See all of you guys next week. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Travel Like a Boss podcast. If you want to hear more, including the bonus, how to choose the perfect niche episode, join our mailing list at travellikeabosspodcast.com. See you next week. And remember, if you want to travel like a boss, you need to be your own boss. So start your online business today and start living the lifestyle you've always dreamed of.